You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole where uh, we've got hosts from the network and actually no friends today, just hosts from the network and I'm glad to call him a friend. Uh, You know, we're going to talk something geeky and so I hope that you've ordered your drinks from Ruby. I'm obviously Matthew Rushing and, and with me. Uh, this week, which I'm really glad to have him on the show, is is Mike Schindler from Commentary Trek Stars. Commentary Track Stars. Do you do any more other commentaries? There's like like 15 of them in that Commentary Track Stars thing, but you know, okay, okay, Standard Orbit and the, uh, Standard yeah. Orbit. Yes, uh, as most of the people here would know you from Commentary Trek Stars and Standard Orbit with uh, Drew Stewart. So, uh, Mike, how's it going? It's going pretty well. How about how about you? Doing pretty good. Uh, you know, oh, we have something coming in. We interrupt our program to bring you a special broadcast. Uh, breaking news, it looks like, Mike, uh, and this apparently dropping, and, and it keeps the story keeps evolving, but uh, yesterday, big news was that uh, Marvel is now going to be allowed to use Spider-Man in its films, and it's going to count now for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What? And... I know, crazy. For months, been seeing the rumors that this would happen, and I, I just didn't know if it ever would. Um, but I'm really, just really interested in this because Sony is still going to continue to finance and distribute and own and have creative control over Spider-Man. And yet, at the same time, Kevin Feige, who's been working with Marvel for so long now, is going to help... Uh, deliver some creative continuity on uh, authenticity that, that people demand apparently from from the MCU, and uh, that was that was something that um, Bob Iger was talking about the other day when he was uh, announcing this. So, what do you think of kind of having Spider Man be a part of of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and uh, you know? finding a new Spider-Man now and and all of that. What do you think? Well, I think it can be nothing but good for the Spider-Man franchise and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, you know, part of the thing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which always seems weird, is that the two biggest Marvel properties aren't there, you know? And now they've got one of them back, which is great, and the, the, the big one, I guess. And, you know, looking at it from Sony's perspective, I mean, it's no secret that the work that they've been turning out for like the past, oh, 10 years has been, you know, not good. And it's it'll be nice to, to give them another shot. I'm still a little skeptical considering the fact that all those same people are still running things. But, you know, hopefully the uh, the the Marvel influence will be felt and... You know, at the same time, though, you know, there's some weird stuff logistically involved with this. And, you know, that question, which always comes up, which is like, when's Marvel going to make a bad movie? I'm wondering if this is going to be it. I don't I don't know. I mean, for me, they they've already made uh, the Hulk. That was good. And then they've made uh, 
Thor, both of them, and they've made Iron Man 2. Those were good. And, yeah, I didn't like any those of those. Those are varying um, degrees of good, but they're all, yeah, no, they're all good. Let me just say this. They're better quality than Spider-Man 3 for me. So Spider-Man 1 and Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man 2. And every Spider-Man movie aside from Spider-Man 2. Okay? (laughs) I enjoy Amazing Spider-Man's, both of them. I I really liked what they did with those films. They're not perfect. They have their issues. But I enjoyed them quite a bit. And, you know, Spider-Man 2 is is definitely the pinnacle for for Spider-Man films. But next to that one, I enjoyed both of the Amazing Spider-Mans. And, and what I really liked is I just liked the portrayal of Spider-Man by Andrew Garfield, who looks to be out as well. Uh, and they're going to be looking, apparently, for a much younger Spider-Man, which I just don't want to go back to whiny Peter Parker and his teenage problems. I don't care. But to be fair, like even though Andrew Garfield is 31 years old, he was still playing you know, 18-year-old Spider-Man. Which did, did not true. work at all, by the way. Well, uh, you know, it, it worked well enough because you had him and, and Emma Stone, and they had them kind of getting out of high school, especially by the second one. And by the third one, if they had done a third one, you wouldn't have had them in high school at all. Um, that's some Dawson's Creek you, stuff right there. I'm sorry, but that's, yeah, I mean, that's pretty you're right. bad. That's yeah. Tom Welling as a high schooler in freaking Smallville. It's true. It's true, but you know it worked well enough. I I just I'm I don't enjoy that Peter Parker, and I know I'm sure plenty of fans right now are ready to you know be up in arms with me because they love teenage Peter Parker, but you know the issues that you have seen with that have already been done on screen a bunch of times, and I don't think they're going to reboot where they're going to give us another origin story for Spider Man. I think that he's just going to swing in. The the fact that they're looking for somebody who's way younger, I and they want to have that feel. Um, I don't know. I just it doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the Marvel universe anyway. Because you know, if if they had the X Men there, where you have those younger characters, those teenage characters, that might make sense. But all the other Marvel characters are all you know way into their adulthood now well maybe this is a way for them to diversify in that sense yeah that's true and you know i mean while i i do see where you're coming from and and would probably even agree with you you know the idea of i'm not saying like do a straight up origin story again but the idea of spider-man entering the marvel cinematic universe and them not getting a chance to start from scratch is very tricky you know, I mean, this is their chance to do it right, you know, for real. And, you know, maybe it's worth putting up with one more reboot in order to finally get something which is what it should be, you know? Yeah, I hear you. Um, I don't know. I don't have any answers to this. Uh, just for me personally as a fan who was enjoying enough the amazing Spider-Man work... And where they had gone with that and the mysteries they had set up. And I kind of wanted to see the resolution to them. I just, I'm not ready for more Spider-Man. And I, I think that the whole back and forth and rebooting of characters so often is kind of starting to grade on people. So it'll be interesting to me to see exactly how they take this. Now, Kevin Feige has done a great job with Marvel and the way that they have introduced characters I do think you're right. This is definitely a curveball 
that they I think they may have been thinking might be coming for a while. I mean, they probably knew way more than we have for months and months. But still, at the same time, I mean, they're already pushing back other films like uh, Thor, the next Thor, uh, Black Panther, um, Inhumans, Infinity War. All of these things are getting pushed back. Infinity of... War staying where it is. Oh, it which is? Which is okay. weird because now Black Panther is going to be after Avengers 3. So I don't know how that's going to all work yeah, out. Yeah, that's see. And that's where I'm just wondering, like, creatively, they're having to, like, jump all over the place. It kind of reminds me a little bit of when Edgar Wright quit Ant-Man, and we all kind of felt like, well, this is just going to suck now. Until they said and Peyton Reed's directing, in which case some of us went, woohoo, Peyton Reed, well, he's yeah. the bomb, um, bring it on. I don't know, I, again, that could, that that just, I feel like, um, is another movie that, that could be a huge flop for them, or it's going to be a huge hit. Uh, I don't think there's going to be any in between with Ant-Man. Tr- trust but... in Peyton Reed. It's all good, <laughs> okay? Well, this is why I knew I had to have you on tonight, Mike, because you know so much more about the inner workings of Hollywood and these directors than I do. So, I don't know. Uh, it, it is cool that Spider-Man finally gets to play in the same universe uh, as the rest of the Marvel characters. Uh, in fact, even Hugh Jackman... And they were, he was doing an interview about it with, uh, with his new movie and Chappie and somebody told him this news and he was like, what? No. I mean, he, he couldn't believe it. And, um, he's, he's also been a proponent of, of having Wolverine be able to be a part of, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well, because, you know, who wouldn't want to see Wolverine in that team? So, uh, who knows what's going to happen, um. I do have to say, Warner Brothers has to feel very lucky that they already have all their characters in their toolbox, and they don't have to worry about this at all. So that because that's made it a lot easier for them in some ways, especially now that they're they're planning their future with all the rest of the films, and uh, you know having this wrench kind of thrown into things for Marvel pushing films back. Like you said, Black Panther's now going to be in a completely different place than it was before, and. That's obviously going to change the story because if he's in Infinity War, he's going to show up. So yeah. it's going to be interesting. Yep, yeah. yeah, for sure. But I'm excited, you know? Yeah, me too. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that they'll find a way to do it well. You know, and that's all you can do as a fan. Uh, hope for the best and, and uh, hope to be proven right with that hope. Because, you know, uh, as we're going to talk tonight, with the the movie that we both went and saw this uh, last week, we went and saw Jupiter Ascending, and uh, that's what we actually came here to talk about tonight. And what did you think when you first just saw the trailers for it? Because this movie was supposed to come out a long time ago, like last summer in July, and it was going to be a big tentpole film, and then they yanked it. Um, and I had seen the trailers for it and thought, oh, that looks kind of cool. I mean great sci-fi stuff going on looks pretty uh Wachowski's that's you know um personally haven't loved anything since you know maybe the second Matrix movie from them but you know I I, they've got to have another one in the bag right what did you think yeah uh, you know my, my big thing was like well this is the new Wachowski movie you know that's all that really matters and it, it looked cool there were some things where I was like 
Oh, you know, some of the uh, design work is a little weird. You know, I don't quite understand Channing Tatum's makeup and everything. But, you know, that is kind of their style. That's their, you know, they have that very sort of like goth steampunk thing going on and throughout all of their movies. And I'm like, well, that's their thing. And ultimately, who cares? You know, it it, it still looks, you know, great the way that they shot you know, Chicago and everything and, and, and all that stuff. And, and it's a new sci-fi movie. And despite all that, it doesn't really matter because it's like it's a new Wachowski movie. And that's I'm going to be excited about that no matter what. So I was super excited going all the way back to seeing that first trailer. Yeah, I felt, you know, just the same in the sense that I thought it looked really great uh, and the, the the visuals were spectacular. And then, of course, we stopped seeing things for a while because they had pulled the movie and, and then they kind of dumped it where movies go to die. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, if you have a movie that you know isn't going to be great, you kind of dump it in January or February uh, and really worried about the film at that point because I also knew they were doing reshoots and they were getting more money for the uh, CGI effects and all of those kind of things to really be able to work on the movie and see if they couldn't do something with it and and kind of change that perception. But I I don't know about you, Mike, but anytime I hear a movie's been pulled and the, the, the date's been changed so drastically, I think that... Does that put a bad taste in your mouth? Because for me, it kind of seems to, in the general public, you know, you hear about a movie and then it gets pulled. Um, the same thing actually happened to Ron Howard's new film, The Heart of the Sea, which I was very excited to see this spring. And then they yanked it and they're putting it because they want it to be, you know, ready for Oscar season, basically. They want to they showcase it in the fall and the winter when all the big Oscar films come out. So I'm not quite as worried about that, but anytime a movie gets yanked, I just feel like, ooh, is there something wrong with this movie? Yeah, I guess I don't really feel that so much. You know, I'm always disappointed because I'm like, I wanted to see that movie and now I've got to wait how many more months? But like to me, like I can see, usually that does signal to me something like, oh, this thing is is not going to do that well at the box office, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't care, you know. Like, I, I don't like. Is is it good? Does that mean it's not good? If anything, that could mean that it's just it's way better. Maybe it's something which is so weird and outside of the box that, like, you know, the general public is like, I don't understand what's going on in this movie, but it's still just like the most amazing thing you've ever seen. So that never really does bother me. I the the only thing that worries me is if like there's something going on where like maybe the studio didn't like what they saw and then they start ordering things being changed. That scares me. You know, like I want to see even if it's like even worse than what the studio, you know, had envisioned. I want to see what the filmmakers were trying to do. And, uh, you know, in the case of Jupiter Ascending, that never really, I mean, I just, you know, the summer gets crowded. You got an R-rated original sci-fi film that's not the most marketable thing in the world. So pushing it to a later date doesn't really surprise me or concern me, you know? Yeah, I I hear what you're saying because, uh, and that's something that I wanted to to be able to talk about this film just because... um, 
you know, we don't get a ton of original sci-fi movies. We, we just don't anymore. It's not something that uh, tends to happen. Um, in fact, you know, I, I'm thinking of two uh, off my head that, that have come out in the last few years. And really, the most successful ones have been Interstellar and then Gravity. Gravity is not uh, sci-fi. And it, I mean, but it's sci-fi in the sense that how the movie happens and the things that happen in it are more sci-fi-ish than they are reality because the science in that movie is as much true as in a lot of ways as a Star Trek film. Okay. I mean, I've read, a, I've read enough about the movie to know that, you okay, know, if, the, but, the, like the storm that causes the effect that happens and the station blowing up would never actually happen in space. All right, all so. right. But if you're going to count gravity as sci-fi, then Fast and Furious is way, way, way more sci-fi. And so is The Transporter and any other action movie that Jerry Bruckheimer has ever made. And no, it's not sci-fi. You know, maybe not all the science is tremendously sound, but it's in space. It's a space adventure. It's not sci-fi. Right. It's drama. But I guess I guess most people would kind of you maybe you're right, but I, I kind of think of just original movies that take place in space. Again, we don't even get that many of those. True. True. Really, I mean, it just doesn't happen. So, and those are the only two that I can really think of that kind of, yeah. you know, did well enough. And and not only that, but you know, I mean, Gravity won uh, some Oscars and. Uh, those kind of things, and and it's a, it was an amazing experience in 3D, especially in the theater. And the same thing with Interstellar, uh, just in a in a brilliant film. So uh, we don't get a lot of original stories, and so when we come kind of to the story here, and especially off of doing literary treks, where we talk about Michael Pillar's book Fade In, kind yeah. of got behind the scenes of of insurrection and really seeing how the that story changed and became what it was on film, to me, it really just exemplified the importance of story in a movie. Like, you you need to start with a very strong story and then move forward. Because no matter what the visuals are like, if your story sucks, people are going to forget the visuals. You know, like... uh, and and for me personally, that's that's how I felt about Avatar. Great visuals, amazing visuals. Some of the most groundbreaking things I've ever seen, but... I'm not going to go back and watch the movie because I hated the story um, because I'd seen it before. So story kind of being everything, watching Jupiter Ascending, what did you end up thinking of the story that they were presenting you? Well, I mean, to me, the story isn't everything. uh, I mean, like with Avatar, it's like you could say that the story is rather simplistic, but I think there's so much other stuff going on in that movie, you know, in terms of like world building and and what that says about society or or whatever, you know, and just the the idea that they've created like this, this, uh, this universe in which, you know, these things happen and the fact that it all fits together. And it's more, you know, I mean, it's, it's how I I hear like a lot of people talk about like, like Lord of the Rings and stuff or, or Harry Potter, where they're like, look at how dense this, this mythology is. And, you know, that's kind of like the impression that I got from like Avatar. And, you know, even if the story is kind of weak, if it has that going for it and it's integrates it well, then, you know, I mean, that's, perfectly valid i'm also a sucker for like a movie that does something crazy visually even if it doesn't really have that much going on in it story-wise 
And uh, Jupiter Ascending kind of falls in that category for me, you know, like the whole time I was watching it, and granted, you know, I fell into the trap of hearing people's reactions to it before I saw it. So I had heard people saying it was one of the worst movies of all time, it's on par with Battlefield Earth, and blah, 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 and and I'm just like, okay, you know, how is this going to be? And when I watched it, I was like... The the story is not bad. It's just not at that level that we have come to expect from the Wachowskis. And the same thing with the movie on the whole. You know, you put this up against any, you know, sort of big blockbuster movie, you know, sort of generic blockbuster movie, and it's it stands up to those, you know. But does it rise above? No. And I was hoping for something that would rise above. So, I mean, the story is fine, you know? I mean, they do deal with some interesting things, you know, and, and uh, it is kind of, you know, like sort of a a, a toned-down version of The Matrix, but uh, it's still pretty cool. It's still better written than most big blockbuster movies. Well, um, see, for me, I if I don't like the story... It means I'm not going to care about the characters, and and that's why I go see movies, and and it's like it. it so say for me, my favorite movie is is Casablanca. That movie's all talk. There's no action, yeah. you know. And it's obviously an old movie, so it's a, it's a little bit different style than we're used to these days, anyway. And, and a lot of people these days used to films with lots of explosions and stuff don't enjoy that. But I grew up with it. My parents were great in introducing me to that kind of cinema, and it's really kind of cemented how I feel about film is that I need to care about the characters and the storyline uh, because that's what's going to push me through whether the effects are great or not um, and it, you know it you, you grew up in the same era too you know you grew up in the 80s um, and the effects are okay you know there's they're shaky especially by today's standards and even then sometimes the films you might watch didn't have the best effects but they seem to kind of like have a heart and soul to them and the storylines that really I think in a whole, you kind of gelled with. Um, so when I came into this, you know, and the storyline is, is pretty much this, is, is a girl finds out she's the reincarnation of a powerful ruler in the galaxy who just happens to be human. Humans are billions of years old and did not originate on Earth. They now colonize planets that are harvested. These humans that are on there are harvested and turned into a substance that elongates the life of the rich and powerful. Unfortunately, that really doesn't all get explained a lot. Um, and so the the story of, of I, I kind of pulled this because uh, I thought it, it did a really good job. I was reading on uh, entertainmentweekly.com and they said, Stop me if you've heard this before. A lovable every person protagonist with a dead-end job gets plucked out of obscurity by a space warrior who reveals that the protagonist is actually some kind of chosen one and really it's it's the exact same story almost as the matrix i mean i guess that's true and and you know the fact that these people have made the matrix before this you know the there there are some similarities where it's like wow like even you know, I mean, things which I don't want to get into because of, uh, you know, spoilers or whatever, but there's some stuff where you're like, spoilers. wow, they really do, you know, sort of, they're they're really doing the same thing, just, you know, again, and, and slightly different. 
But like in terms of like the story not being original or whatever, I mean, like way back before this thing was was out, they were talking about how, you know, this is basically just Cinderella, you know, and I mean, it is kind of like a, a timeless tale. And it is one which has been done a million times before, just like the Matrix is one which has been done a million times before. And, you know, I don't know, you know, like I was kind of thinking about this in sort of like a, a, a meta way. And the idea, like I heard them talking about there's this, I don't know if you saw this, but they, they did it like a, a Q&A at DePaul University here in Chicago where they did like an hour and a half long interview where they talked about their entire careers. It's really great. But in that, they talk about how like one of the things which no one really seemed to notice was that the Matrix was itself a Matrix like people are entering this world when they go into the theater and are watching it and stuff like that and it's like you know another level of matrix and 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 I was kind of thinking about that in terms of Jupiter ascending and the matrix and the fact that this is a, a lot of this is about you know sort of the idea of reincarnation and cloud atlas has a lot of that going on too it's obviously something which they're interested in and I I was thinking in some ways Jupiter in ascending is a reincarnation of the Matrix. I wonder how much of that was intentional. And I wouldn't put it past them because those guys are crazy and would do something like that. And uh, that kind of makes me like it a little bit more. But I think that you just proved exactly why this movie kind of (laughs) sucks. Because the Matrix we are still talking about today, and you can still find philosophical elements in it that are incredible. And you can, I mean, I remember I was in college, and we went over to a professor's house, and we sat down and we were watching the Matrix, and it took us four hours to get through because we were stopping and talking about all the philosophical ideas that come up throughout the movie and and what they're talking about. If you were to try to do that with Jupiter Ascending, I, I really don't think it would take very long because the ideas just aren't really there as much as the Matrix. And I, I think the the fact that you're com- you're having to compare it to their other work, which was brilliant, and it's just not holding up because it's like the same thing, basically, it's just a detriment to them. And I and it's frustrating because I remember you know. It was 1999. I had come back home from from uh, summer camp where I was working as a counselor and a lifeguard, and obviously that was the year of the, of uh, the Phantom Menace, and it was a big deal. I had seen that, but I hadn't gotten to go to the movies a lot uh, over the summer because I was working at the camp, and we had about 18 hours off every weekend, and then the kids would come back. And I came home, I, I was done with camp, and my friends all dragged me to the theater saying, you have to see this movie, you have to see this movie. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's called The Matrix, it's awesome. You know, so we got into the theater, I sit down, we get about a third of the way through the movie, and just as he's about to learn Kung Fu, the projector melted down. Mm. So I didn't get to see the whole movie that night. And then the next day went back with my friends and, and we saw the whole thing. And, it, you know, I, it, the rest is history. I mean, the Matrix is its own thing now. You know, you can pop that movie in any time and still really enjoy it. This one, though, I came out with my I, my wife and I went to see it together. And I walked out of the movie and I said, you know, what did you think? And she said, it, 
felt really generic, you know, um, and that, that, that was, that was her quote. It just feels really generic, you know, like we'd seen it before. And I was like, you know, to me, it kind of feels like it's Harry Potter on space crack, uh, because you know, it's, it's the same kind of story. Somebody finds out they're special and they didn't know it and they changed the world. So yeah, but I, I, I guess I guess I can kind of see that, but that's like every, I mean, that's Star Wars, you know, that's everything, too, you know, and I mean, I think that this is I know I'm going to be in the minority here. I think Jupiter Ascending is way better than Harry Potter because Harry Potter does not work as like a movie, but whatever. Regardless, let's let's just slide over that one there. And <laughs> that'd be a whole other conversation. Yes, yes. <laughs> It might. I I could agree with you that it it doesn't work as well as a movie as a book series. It's spectacular. That's fair enough. I haven't read the books, yeah. so that's quite possible. Okay. But getting back to your point about like this not being you know nearly as uh, as good or or as um, worthy of discussion as the Matrix, I agree with that. You know, but at the same time, I don't think it's necessarily as unworthy of discussion as we may think right now because. We were just talking about this the other day on Off Topic. Um, when and Max brought this up, like when The Matrix came out, the reaction was, that movie's so cool because he knows Kung Fu and the guy and this camera spinning around and everything like that. And like I was in film school when The Matrix came out and, you know, everyone saw that movie and everyone came back saying it was amazing. But then like, I remember being in my history of film class and we were, they just showed us Citizen Kane and a lot of people hadn't seen it before, which is kind of terrifying. And one, <laughs> yes, it one is. girl was like, this is considered to be the best movie ever made. And the, the teacher was like, yeah. And she's like, well, cause I just saw the matrix and like the matrix is way better than Citizen Kane. And basically she was laughed out of the room, you know, which I always thought was stupid. But I guarantee you that if you were to ask all those people today, like which is better, Citizen Kane or The Matrix, like a good half of them would say The Matrix is better than Citizen Kane. Because one of the things about The Matrix is that it hooks you with the action and the spectacle and all that stuff. But once you're there, once you see it for a second, a third, a fourth time, you pick up on all that other stuff. And I would, I mean, just in thinking about Jupiter Ascending since I saw it, I wouldn't be surprised if there is a lot of stuff buried beneath the surface of Jupiter Ascending as well. And it's just that no one is going to bother to go back and revisit it because, you know, it, it wasn't as engaging as The Matrix, you know, was as a movie. Well, and, and that, I think, is is the thing, and, and that's really, I think you'd agree, is what separates really good movies from blah or blasé movies, is that, you know, what what astounded us by Star Wars was not just the spectacle. I mean, people, when they went and saw that, they'd never seen anything like that. But what they talk about is the characters. What they talk about is the storyline that kind of hooked them. And, and and then carried them through, you know, for so many people, has carried them through six films. It's going to be a seventh film, plus the Clone Wars. They're watching, you know, they've read books. I mean, this is what's really gotten these people in to, to actually doing these things is is the story and the, and the characters. Um, and that's what's frustrating about Jupiter Ascending coming from 
the Matrix creators is that I would expect them to be able to do the same thing. Even if they're kind of telling me the same story, to be able to find a hook that kind of brings me in. Yeah. But they're not able to do that with this movie. And and that's what I think is frustrating. And, And the big conversation right now with this movie has been that it's harmful that this movie isn't doing well. Because it's bad for movies that are are original or unique. Well, yeah, it's bad for movies that are original or unique. Because people are going to be scared away from going to see them if they turn out like this. And the reviews are so dismal. The only movie that I can think of that came out uh, last year that's had the resurgence that it's had. Because people realized it was actually good was uh, Edge of Tomorrow. In fact, uh, a few months ago, my wife and I, we saw it on on Blu-ray. And we were laughing like crazy, for one. And then by the end of it, we're like, this movie's great! And the only reason people didn't go see it, I think, was because Tom Cruise was in it. And he has such a bad reputation at the moment for films that people have kind of stayed away. Um, and But what's funny is that his casting is actually perfect in the movie, you know? So... As it usually is. And, you know, I mean, the th- Tom Cruise, you know, he jumped on that couch and that ruined his career, which is unfortunate because he's one of the best actors of our time, really. Oh, he is a very and good most, actor. And he's he's really good at picking projects to be in. Like, I, I think the last movie that he was in, which I thought was actually not very good, was Valkyrie. And that was a pretty long time yeah, ago, yeah. you know? He's had a string of, like, really solid movies, even if they haven't been um, commercial hits. And uh, with Edge of Tomorrow, I mean, the thing about that to me, and I'll, I'll freely admit that, like, when I saw the trailers for that movie, I was like, Yeesh, I don't know about this one. But at the same time, you know, just because of, like, what I'm interested in or whatever, you know, I'm like, okay, it's by the guy who did Go. Um, so I'm going to give it a shot. I, I'll, I'll watch anything that movie, any movie that guy does, you know, because he's he's proven himself to me as a filmmaker and very much like the Wachowskis. And when I went to see it, I was like, this movie is hilarious, just like you said, you know, and I'm like, they completely did not know how to sell this movie, you know. And, you know, the fact that, you know, Jupiter Ascending was marketed by the same people, I kind of, you know, thought like, well, that could be it too, you know. I mean, I, you know, I, you can't really trust trailers, and you know that's one of the reasons why I've tried very hard to stop watching them for the past couple months. And um, you know, for something like these, where I know that I'm going to see it, it's like why even bother skewing my opinion at, based on what they think will be most popular about it? You know, I mean, that just seems like. It, I don't know. I mean, it's like I, I hope that these movies are not what they're selling because what they're selling is to the lowest common denominator, right? So I don't know. I mean, but, you know, I mean, there there you go. There's a case of, you know, why I think that this is not necessarily an accurate philosophy of like, well, everyone was saying it was bad or, you know, the, it looked terrible and that's why people didn't see it or whatever. I mean – if that's the case, and, and it's, it has nothing to do with it being like an original property which people are, are frightened by, then the Transformers movies wouldn't be making billions of dollars because people would read the reviews on those and be like, I'm not going to see that. But each one is going to make a billion dollars. And I like the Transformers movies. But, you know, I mean, this is just, you know, kind of like the idea behind that. But 
regardless of whether or not that's a real thing, the fact of the matter is the studios believe that. The people making the decisions believe that that this is something that people are not going to go to see because it's an original idea. And they're not going to make more of them because of that. And I mean, we and it's not a hard and fast thing. We got Interstellar, you know, which which did, you know, decent business and everything, but that seems like kind of the exception, not the rule these days. And it's kind of sad. Well, and I think just take Interstellar and Jupiter Ascending and put them side by side. You have amazing creators. And I, I still think the Wachowskis are, are great creators, and, and mainly because, for me, they've given me The Matrix. Yeah. And I enjoyed The Matrix 2. I, did, I hate Matrix 3. It's terrible. <laughs> I, I disagree, um, but okay. <laughs> but, uh, so... But I got, okay, we'll just say put this in the common vernacular of film for people out there. Most a majority of people didn't enjoy the the second and third Matrix as much as they did the first one, but that one's still held in high regard. But you have these great creators who have done amazing things, and they do great things, and they they try to do original properties. You know, um, Christopher Nolan has done that with say Inception or you know the Prestige or you know he's got uh, well Prestige does come from a book but you know and it's not like anybody had heard of it so uh, it still feels original and then of course you know Interstellar uh, whereas and that's fantastic and people gave it a chance and but it also got great reviews and people then came out of the theater and were raving about it as well so when it gets great reviews and then people rave about it. You want to go see it. Whereas, you know, a movie like this, it gets bad reviews and then people come out of the theater going, oh, that movie sucked. People don't want to go see it. So I think the real lesson here for Hollywood is don't not make original things. Yeah, make more original things. That's what you're supposed to be best at. You're Hollywood. It's make good original things. And, well, sure, that's you know that's I, the trick. But that's really the lesson. Is anyone trying to not make a good movie ever? I mean, I think everyone's trying to make a good movie. And when and when and, you're Warner Brothers, yeah. and you know the people who gave you the Matrix, as well as you know, I mean, hey, say what you want about Speed Racer and Cloud Atlas. You know, there's some crazy stuff going on in both of those movies, which are just like you know, really sort of like next level thinking. And, you know, if if I'm a studio head and the Wachowskis come up to me and say, I want to make a movie, uh, it's got spaceships in it and uh, Mila Kunis and Channing Tatum, I'm going to be like, all right, how much do you need? You know, because I- I'm going to trust them. I'm going to trust that they're smarter than me and that they know what they're doing and I maybe don't. And, you know... I, I don't know. I mean, maybe there, there's there's a phase where you're like, uh, what are you guys doing here? But at the same point, you know, I'm, I'm going to be like, I, I trust you. I, I, because who knows what you're going to get, you know? But it, it, it's probably going to be something crazy, and that's worth it. And obviously, that's, you know, speaking as someone who doesn't have millions of dollars on the line, but <laughs> that's what I personally would would do if I was running a studio, you know? So I can't fault Warner Brothers for that, for making a, a bad original movie. And I can't fault the Wachowskis for making a bad original movie because everyone's going to make bad movies every once in a while. You know, I mean, it happens. I mean, 
It happens to the best of them. Steven Spielberg has made so much crap. It's uh, it's it's not even funny. He has. But he's yeah. also made Raiders of the Lost Ark and Jaws and Jurassic Park. So you know what? <laughs> yeah, Schindler's, Schindler's list. list. I mean, the list can go on and on yeah. and on. So <laughs> the you, things he has done that have been yeah. great. So. so you know what? I mean, it's like, yeah, you let him do whatever he wants. Well, and I think that the real thing here is, you know, we keep saying original movie. But even as we've talked about here, this movie is really not all that original in its story idea. And I think that may be, again, when I come back to, for me, this film doesn't have the originality in its story to carry the rest of what they're going to create. And if they had started, I think, with a better story, the visuals that go with it would have been fantastic. Because I want to move here because I do think this is uh, there's some things to praise about this movie and I think that the visual language of this film, the imagination with which they put this together and the way the movie is shot and all of that is pretty amazing. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Did you see it in 3D? I did. Yeah, I me did. too. I think it was shot in 3D. That's what I've heard. I believe so. Yeah. And they even had like a special camera, like a 360 degree camera setup thing so they could get those shots in the air and all that yeah. stuff. So, I actually... I mean, they're definitely really working hard to to make it look good. Yeah. I, I, I live in Chicago and um, <laughs> there was one morning, uh, you know, like a year or so ago when I was dropping my wife off at work at like five o'clock in the morning and... Uh, I was trying to get back to the expressway, trying to take my normal route, which... Did you run into Channing Tatum? No, but I ran into a roadblock, like a really big roadblock, which lasted for, like, blocks, you know? And everyone was looking up at the sky, at basically at, at Sears Tower, you know, Willis Tower, where they, you know, they're hanging out for that, that part of the movie. And I'm like, are they shooting Jupiter Ascending? Is that what's going on here? And I had to go way out of the way, like a mile out of my way to get back to the expressway because they were shooting uh, Jupiter Ascending, and which is pretty cool. And, hey, it paid off. I'm, I, I am more than willing to give them that, that, that extra commute time to get that sequence, which was awesome. You know, and, and as someone who's... Yeah, it really was. Someone who's you know, lives in the city and everything like that, I mean, just to see sort of like a dogfight over downtown Chicago was pretty amazing because I'm like, that's where I hang out. You know, that's so cool. <laughs> they just blow up my favorite bar. Exactly. You know, so, you know, it's like, and, and I'm a sucker for that stuff, you know, like with Dark Knight and everything. Anytime any, a movie shoots in Chicago, I'm just like, hey, that's so cool. But... um that sequence alone to me is worth the price of admission like the the set pieces in this movie are so well done are so well directed that you know um it is entertaining like even even if even if it doesn't have that 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 deep philosophy which is in most of the Wachowski's work it still has that popcorn factor which i think a lot of people tend to forget about that that you find in the Matrix and in the Matrix sequels. And, uh, you know, it's worth it for that, if you ask me. Well, and that's where we talked about a little bit earlier. You mentioned the Transformers film. I love the original Transformers yeah, film because of that. Because it's hilarious. It's funny. It's not taking itself seriously. No. And it's just having a good time. And, and, yeah. And I went in expecting that. You know, um, I think that going into this movie, I expected more, but I have to say 
the visual language of the movie and the production value and everything that they're creating with CGI, obviously they're doing what Lucas did, which is so much of this movie is shot on a green screen and they create everything else, but it looks so visually interesting. I'm enjoying that part. And uh, I am a sucker for, you know, great effects work like that that kind of bring you in or at least are trying to bring you in. And so I thought that was great. I really enjoyed that. Um, I thought that, you know, the, the, the ships that they designed and all of that kind of stuff, it, it, it wasn't that I needed it to make sense in like a, like a Star Trek way where I need to explain to me. It just is, you know, and they, they kind of um, build that visual language throughout the entire movie so that it all seems to make sense somehow in your head, yeah. even if they never explain it. And that's that's great. That is good storytelling in that sense of of the visual storytelling that they're doing. Yeah, they they've worked it all out on paper, you know, so that it, it makes sense on screen, even if they don't explain the whole thing. Which is why, like, you know, with the Harry Potter thing, why I think that this works better than say Harry Potter is because. Harry Potter spends a whole movie just saying, like, look at how this world works. And I'm like, that's amazing. I really could not care less. You know, that sort of thing. Um, whereas this is just like telling a story inside of a world which was created. And that's that's really cool. I wouldn't say it's telling me a real story <laughs> with the visuals because I I think that, like, say, J.J. Abrams does a great job with telling story through action. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he's he's really fantastic about that, and it means you have to pay attention. Um, I didn't really pick them. I didn't really pick up them doing that as much in this film. Uh, it, I mean, that's yeah, one of the things which is kind of weak in this compared to their other stuff. I mean, you look at the first Matrix movie; that does it exceptionally well. The second Matrix movie does it relatively well, although there's moments where they're like, "Let's stop for a second and have a cool action scene," you know, and it's like, oh. Okay, why? And then, you know, but like you look at Speed Racer, you know, where it's like fully integrated. I mean, say what you want about Speed Racer. I don't know what your thoughts on it are, but like the first 17 minutes of that movie are like mind-blowingly good and just like so crazy and weird and cool and like finding a new way to tell a story with visuals. The editing in it is superb and I mean, like, that is, like, sort of the ultimate case for me of, like, using action to tell a story, to set up a world and everything. And, you know, in this movie, like you're saying, it really doesn't do that. It's just kind of your standard action movie. And that's disappointing. Not tremendously bad. It's just not that, you know, super high level of of greatness that, that we would have hoped for. What did you end up thinking of of who they cast for the film? Uh, you know, you got Channing Tatum, Mila Kunis, uh, Eddie Redmayne, Eddie Redmayne. Uh, you know, I mean, you've got a, some really great actors in in, in this film, uh, and Sean Bean. I love just about anything Sean Bean's in uh, because I just man. Uh, ever since I saw him in Goldeneye, yeah, I've just been a, a big fan of what he does. So. What did you think of of the cast themselves, and you know, especially with what they're having to work with? Uh, you, you even mentioned Channing Tatum with the really weird makeup and half dog. Basically, he's he's a mog. Yeah. He's his own best friend. Yeah. 
Um, you know, I the, the cast was fine. I think like all these people are are very good. You know, Channing Tatum has recently you know become like a really really good actor. Or you know, I guess he's always been a really good actor. But I've taken notice of him in the past few years with like the, the work that he's done with Soderbergh and 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 whatnot. Um, and uh, Mila Kunis, you know, she's always really solid. And here she she wears a Chicago Bears shirt at one t- point, so that's you know hot and Eddie Redmayne is obviously like a, a really good actor like that's the weird one because that that was another thing that people were saying when when the review started coming out where they're like Eddie Redmayne is so bad that his people are distancing himself from this movie because they think it's going to hurt his chances at winning an Oscar and I'm like I don't know if that's true I really hope that it's not true because that would be incredibly stupid <laughs> But at the same time, like, he's not that bad. He's extremely over-the-top and crazy, and that's, you know, what this role, uh, I guess, required. It was the it was the, the way that the movie was designed, you know, and I don't think that he was bad in this movie. I think that, you know, some of the choices that were made were maybe not the best, but I'm also guessing that they were directorial choices, and he was doing what they told him to do. So, I mean, yeah. I the the cast was perfectly fine. I don't think that they were really given that much to do. I mean, all of these people have done things which are much more substantial and better, but uh, you know, they they were fine in in that in in those roles. Well, and I think that is the other thing about this film is that all the characters are so cardboard. You know, they're really really good. Or they're really, really bad. Um, Or they flip-flop for who cares what reason. Sean Bean's character basically, you know, you don't really care. Um, You know, he's doing it for his daughter, but we don't care. Because we only met her for like three seconds in the film and it doesn't really matter. Um, Yeah, that's the thing. Like... Eddie Redmayne, he's just so evil for evil's sake. You know, it's it's one of those frustrating things when a when a movie doesn't have a, enough nuance to its characters to kind of really create a, again a good story. Or, you know, Mila Kunis's character finds out she's this super powerful reincarnated alien person and the inheritor of Earth. And all she wants to do is love people and help people. Like, why? I mean, you know, it doesn't make any sense, especially with what we see, kind of the way that she grew up. I don't think that she'd be so internally good as a person. I mean, the the, the situation around her wouldn't really create this person. Uh, just do you look like her, you know, we talk about nature and nurture and the way that she's been nurtured and, and the nature around her would have created somebody I think he was a lot harder and it just none of it really makes sense story wise. And that's what's really frustrating because. Eddie Redmayne, he's a fantastic actor. And all he has to do is just, like, scream at people this whole movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's very frustrating because I do like these actors and I've seen them in other things do amazing work. This just isn't it. Um, I was shocked to find out that Michael Giacchino uh, did the music and I actually have the soundtrack because I heard some of it and thought, oh, man, that's... It's really good. And you know what? 
that's probably my favorite thing about this movie is the music. I really, really like Michael Giacchino's work here. I think it's it's really up there with some of the other stuff that he's done. Uh, you know, he he did such a fantastic work with Up. Uh, he does a great job with the Star Trek films. I, I really like what he did there, and I think what he did here was was really spectacular. Yeah, I mean, he's he's really good. He's one of the best around these days, and uh, this one, you know, it, it really did kind of stand out. I thought a lot of the music was, um, you know, top-notch. Well, and it made me excited because he's doing Jurassic World, and yeah. uh, I'm very interested to see him play with the John Williams themes, hopefully, uh, and then, of course, mix in some of his own great themes. So I'd be really, really cool. Yeah, it should be exciting. Yeah. Well, where do you kind of think uh, of this? And I know you're a huge Wachowski fan. I haven't gotten to see Cloud Atlas, even though you let me uh, borrow your digital copy. I just haven't had time to watch the three-hour tome <laughs> that that is. Um, but I'm, I'm interested to go back and see it, especially with like you what you were saying with the reincarnation and everything that kind of plays into that film. How do you feel that this fits inside their canon of what they've uh, created so far? Um, well, while I like it, you know, I, I've liked all of their movies, and uh, I think that this is probably uh, their least significant work. Uh, you know, even even movies like Speed Racer and Cloud Atlas, which have their fair share of problems, have a lot of interesting things going on in them as well. And while this is, you know very well made from a uh, a technical standpoint it kind of lacks uh the the story stuff that we were talking about and it lacks also sort of the um experimental uh stuff which was going on in a lot of their earlier works or most of their other works i I should say um and you know because of that I, i i can't put it up there with their other stuff even even in the past when things haven't been that great there was still that effort that 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 experimentation and that that chance for it to break free or or maybe like one element where they figured something out and they could take that into something you know the next thing that they did and and make that better or whatever and i just didn't see anything like that here um so because of that i think it is one of their their lesser works but and again, I mean, maybe that's just where I'm at in my life, too. I mean, when I saw Bound in the Matrix, it was when I was, you know, a teenager and was super into things. And, you know, I mean, like Bound is, is such an amazing movie. But I wonder if I had seen that today, if I would have thought it was as great as it is or if I would have just been like, yeah, that's cool. You know, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think I've been thinking about this, you know. The Matrix, when it came out, it was groundbreaking in so many ways. You know, what they did technically with it, uh, in a lot of ways, the, the, it changed cinema oh, yeah. like Star Wars did. You know, it, it brought a whole new visual style and language to film, just as Star Wars, the original, had done. And uh, it gave filmmakers a whole new bar to try and get to. The problem is, is that at this point, we've really surpassed that bar, and now people I think I think where we have gotten with visual effects people want and kind of need more. We we've gotten past the point where in a lot of ways, not always, obviously the the Transformers films do great and they do great all around the world. 
Um, and we keep picking on them, but they're a great representation of that kind of big, bombastic, ridiculous action with not a lot of great story. Um, I think, like, we, in general, we kind of want more from stories these days. Um, and like you said, they didn't blow us away with anything really super technical in this film. And then they didn't do the thing where they didn't blow us away with the philosophy of the film, which we kind of expect from one of their movies. And so we come out kind of disappointed because we're expecting something more from good filmmakers. And um, I don't think that's bad. Do I think that it's bad for film that this movie didn't do well? No, I I don't think people are going to make less original works. Um, You know, studios might not spend quite as much money, $179 million dollars. But uh, I still think great things are going to get made. And the reason I say that is because movies like Interstellar have done well. So, you know, you can have a big movie like that that does fantastic. People love it. It gets Oscar noms. And you have a movie like this and it just doesn't do as well. You know, it it all balances out in Hollywood. Um, And so, you know, I guess if I was going to say a rating for this movie, I'd I'd probably give it, you know, I guess I'd just do it out of five. And this is like a, two and a half a two-star movie to me um you know it's it's not horrendous or horrible it can be mildly entertaining at times but it's it's nothing to um you know get on my blog and blog about and be like you have to go see this movie and this is why because i could talk about it for hours Eh." (laughs) yeah i'd probably give it three out of five um i don't think that it's going to hurt original movies because i mean just one movie can't do that you know and this is weird it's r-rated and it's february and everything but i do think that it could hurt the wachowskis in terms of trying to make original content which is really too bad because in that interview one of the things that they talk about which is really interesting is how you know they grew up in the star wars generation they are kind of the filmmakers who, who came out of that generation and you know what they took away from it was original movies. You know, you had your Star Wars, you had your Raiders and your Close Encounters and everything like that. And what they want to do is make original movies like that. And, you know, they're like the only, like them and Nolan are the only two, you know, of that level which are doing that. Everyone else, you know, as much as I love J.J. and as much as I love his movies, they're making Star Trek and Star Wars. They're not making their Star Wars. They're making Star Wars, you know. Uh, and that's kind of disappointing. Um, and and I hope that, that they're not going to have to make Star Wars as much as I'd love to see their Star Wars. I want to see their Star Wars. Wow, that might be a really, really... I'm just picturing there's going to be a lot of Twi'leks in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, probably some seedy bounty hunters in steampunk armor. Yeah, that would be a very interesting Star Wars film. It would be, but it would be cool. <laughs> well, it has been a lot of fun getting to talk through Jupiter Ascending today, but it's not the only thing that we have been talking about here on Trek FM the past week. So here is a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. I really, really, really hope that if they do that, they make Chang the villain because, you know, Captain Chang instead of General Chang or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, that just seems like the perfect way to go. Earl Grey. All right, Riker, we're promoting you to captain. I mean, you uh, 
you killed the last cat, and we usually don't reward that. That's usually not a policy, but in this case... Well, well, to be fair, he had spent some time on a Klingon ship. The orb. But the Federation and Bator, as a member of the Federation, would be helping rebuild Cardassia. And I could see like very much the relationship between the U.S. and Japan today. I could see the Federation and Cardassia having that kind of relationship moving forward. To the journey! Jimmy has a very distinct pain noise. Yeah, she you know kind what I'm of talking does. About? It sounds sort of like she's suffocating. Yeah, it sounds like she's suffocating and sometimes, and I'm going to keep it clean, not always in pain. The ready room. He is the best cosplayer ever because he's so buried himself in his part that we have no idea who this guy is outside of the impersonation of Tuvok. Exactly. He's the Christian Bale of the Delta Quadrant. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. If I'm not mistaken, in any upcoming episode of Next Generation, we don't see full-grown golden retrievers running around the decks of the Enterprise. And I'm also a little worried that Captain Picard has never played with puppies. Commentary, Trek stars. But you'd rather see Red in charge than him. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) Because you really want porn stash to go down. Yes, yes, you do. And that sentence out of context sounds really strange. Literary Treks. As great as Picard is and his Picard maneuver, uh, I don't think Picard straightening his shirt is going to help him uh, <laughs> when he's going up against the Riker maneuver. Fair enough, yeah. So. Axonar, the official podcast. The changes that we've made, the change to the nacelles and uh, several other aspects of these ships to make them distinct and, and not the same ships as uh, in, in Star Trek 2009. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, if you're an Apple user, hit the subscribe button. That really helps people be able to find the show when they search us in iTunes, as well as star ratings and reviews. So if you have a chance, we love to hear from you about what you think of the shows in that way. And again, that really does make us rise up in those ratings and um, gives Trek FM just a little bit more um, viewership. And and that's fantastic. More viewers, more people listening. Uh, We want as many people to know about us as possible. And guess what, guys? If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows anywhere. Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way that you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find all of our current goals and milestone contribution levels, along with all the great perks that we have for you. You can get early access to content, exclusive content, producer credit, seats on the content development team, and more. I just want to say a special thank you to all of you who support us here. It means the world to us. And honestly, we are listener-supported. We really can't do this without you guys. So, uh, Please join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Real quickly, had a great iTunes review, five-star review from Puzzle Solver 2 there on iTunes. I just wanted to say thank you to them for that. I really, really appreciate your time because I know 
Uh, a lot of us don't even listen to our podcasts and iTunes anymore. Uh, we've got all sorts of apps for them, and so I appreciate you spending that time to go over there and help us out like that. Another special thank you to our associate producer, Norman C. Lau, and his support of the network and the 602 Club. His Twitter account is at Norman Lau, and he's a big supporter of the Star Trek Axanar project, and he can be found on the official Facebook page for Star Trek Axanar, as well as the Babel Conference. And of course, last but not least, he's a huge supporter of the network on Patreon, and now the host of Warp 5. I'd also like to thank our brand new associate producer, Kenneth Tripp, for his support of the network and being an associate producer here on the 602. Thank you so much, Kenneth. It, it means the world to me that you wanted to support this show. If you'd like to contact us, you can do that at trek.fm slash contact. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, just look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com on Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and of course we have the listeners-only discussion group, the Babel Conference. Just type the Babel Conference in the Facebook search field or go to the website at trek.fm and click session on the menu bar. And before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps bring the 602 Club and all of our shows to each week. Of course, that sponsor is Audible.com. Audible is the best way to read all the books that you always wanted to, but just don't have time for. So grab an audiobook from them. Listen to it while you're working out, while you're going to the store, going to work. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get that audiobook free of your choice with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. We thank Audible for supporting the 602 Club and the network. Mike, I am really glad that we got a chance to talk about this. One, I think it was a great conversation. Uh, You know, it's a hard thing to make movies in Hollywood these days. And like you said, and, and after reading Michael Piller's book, I know that nobody sets out to make a bad movie. Um, it just sometimes happens, uh, but it was a lot of fun to be able to talk through that and the big Marvel news. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was uh, good to talk about Jupiter Ascending and also, you know, the Marvel news was a little bit of a bonus because I wasn't going to be able to talk about that for a week or so, so good to get that out there into the into the open. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. You heard it here, folks. We've got Mike's thoughts first on the 602 as we'd like to try to do now before we let you go tell everybody where they can find you uh, across the interwebs and the network you can find me here on trek fm doing commentary trek stars with max and john and also standard orbit with drew and uh, you can find me on my own website commentary where i do commentary track stars off topic with max and brandon which is uh very similar to this show in that we talk about whatever we want to talk about, really. Um, so uh, you can head over there and uh, give it a listen. And you can also find me on Twitter at uh, Mumbles3K. Awesome, Michael. Of course, you are welcome back anytime here to the 602. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. And guys, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing Literary Treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and comics of Star Trek. And as I alluded to, we talked to Larry Nemechek recently about Fade In by Michael Piller, about the making of Star Trek Insurrection. Had a fantastic time doing that. And of course, you can find me on The Orb, where we talk about Deep Space Nine all the time. And I got my pal Christopher Jones to help me do that. Great show. Love doing that. In fact... If you haven't, check out the retrospective that we did on the very end of of the series, the nine-part series. We did an epic nine, actually ten-part series, I think, talking about that whole thing. 
really great. Um, uh, I hope you'll check that out. Well, guys, uh, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you.